I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I have with me Sybil Ackerman Munson. And Sybil has over 20 years of experience as a nonprofit professional and foundation advisor. She has vast experience and knowledge working with donors. She's helped give away over $45 million in large and small donations. And she has a really cool step-by-step guide through online courses, which we're going to get into. She has a podcast and other resources that can help you jump to the front of the line and waste no time making a true and lasting positive contribution to the world on your terms. Sybil, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have the conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. So the website is doyourgood.com. Maybe talk a little bit about the resources there and how that evolved over time. Yeah, well, thanks for asking that because it, this is a big new endeavor for me. So I have sort of a comfortable life working with wonderful clients helping them give away money effectively. And, you know, I could just do that the rest of my life. I mean, I love the people I work for one-on-one and, you know, helping them really support great nonprofits. But then as time went on, I started thinking to myself that I sort of have a responsibility to really break this open and make giving more transparent and really sort of democratize giving in a lot of ways. And I think you talk about this too in your work. Because a lot of times giving is sort of done behind closed doors and nonprofits don't really know how to access the funds. And then also people who are donors, they tend to go down their journey alone. And what I've found is they'll hire me, but a lot of times they'll have ended up wasting a ton of money before they hire me because they'll end up just sort of funding things they're not really that passionate about, or they don't actually know how to interact with the nonprofits the right way. And they really do end up wasting money. And so that's why I decided to create this new endeavor called Do Your Good. And I put your in between do and good, because I really also wanted to emphasize that it's really about 
your good and really thinking about what are the things you care about and not what other people, like the minute a donor or a person who has wealth comes into this space and they start saying they want to do good in the world, a lot of people start giving them judgments. They say, here's what you should be doing. And I think that's the worst thing you can do is listen to too many folks and think about what you should be doing rather than what you care about. And there's a do good cause like connected to any of that. It was a lot to unpack, but that's sort of why I created it. And I've just sort of jumped off and started trying. <laughs> so I'm interested in particular with your use of the of the term giving away. And I get confused in this space between you know impact investing, double, triple, bottom line, you know, on philanthropy, donations. What's the terminology that you like? And how do you distinguish between because all those terms have a lot oh, of meaning yeah. associated yeah. with them beyond what I would look up in the dictionary, right? And they're changing right. quite Let's a bit. Let's unpack now. that. Love that question. Thank you for asking. Because there's actually, it's actually structural. So there's giving away money is literally giving it away. So you're giving it away. You a lot of times, you know, in the if you're in the United States, you give away money, you can get a tax deduction. A lot of countries offer that. So you do get something return. But usually people are giving away money because they care about the cause and it's not really about a return on investment. Okay. So when I talk about giving away, that is generally what I talk about. And I'll help people literally give away their funds and support nonprofits and really not ask for anything in return. However, there is another really great way folks can make a difference and that's through impact investing. And that is an area where people are funding and investing in companies and entrepreneurs and people doing really interesting, innovative work that's making the world a better place. And when they invest in that, they do potentially get a return, but it's a little riskier. And so they also, a lot of those companies can fail because it's sort of right in the cutting edge start of things. And so they don't always get a return, but there are some folks that get into the philanthropic world, really interested in more in the impact investing side. Where I tend to spend my energy in a lot of, with a lot of clients is really on that sort of giving away side, which is donations. You get a tax deduction. Sometimes you don't, depending on what you want to work on. And you're really supporting those nonprofits without expecting much in return. But I also have partnered with and really love the work that impact investors are doing as well. So there are differences between the two. And I appreciate you asking that question. I think it's important, especially as the line with some of these B Corps and you know companies like yeah. Allbirds and others who are going IPO, that line is really becoming blurred in terms of for-profit, non-for-profit. And let's be frank, a lot of these Wall Street groups are using it as marketing ploys to gain more investment dollars, right? Um, I'm sure you've seen that play out as well. It can be really challenging. And so that's another reason why eyes wide open and know what you're doing when you're donating and when you're funding and supporting work. And you really want to be sure that when you're giving to a nonprofit around a cause you care about, that nonprofit is thoroughly vetted and is actually really doing the work on the ground. And there are companies that are doing really good work, but you need to know what you're doing when you're going into that space, or you need to hire somebody who is an expert in that field in terms of where you're going and what you're doing with that work. And so are you primarily working with the donor community or with the nonprofit community? Which do you represent one side versus the other, or you're an intermediary? How do you work within the ecosystem? Thank you for asking. I work, my one-on-one clients are philanthropists, are donors who have money and who've usually been successful in business 
or our second generation where their parents were successful in business. And then they want to give back. And so I help them really think through good strategies so that they don't leave money on the table. And that's where I, what my course, my courses are linked specifically in my doyourgood.com where you can look them up. I have special mini courses that help you as a donor navigate and read budgets and think about actually how you decide where to fund, what you want to do, sort of the nuts and bolts there. So that's really where I lean in. The other thing though, is before I became a philanthropic advisor for donors, I did work as a nonprofit professional. And I came over to the philanthropic side because one of the donors that funded me asked me to run his foundation. So that's how I started my career as a foundation person. And so what I've also noticed that happens is, you know, I get pitched by over 200 nonprofits a year. I process 200 to 250 proposals a year. So I really start to see trends and I start to see things that can work well for nonprofits. So I have also served as sort of, I, I help nonprofits all the time with their pitch and other things more informally. But I also, because of that, as part of Do Your Good, created a special little mini course for nonprofits because I really want to help them too. <laughs> so there's mini courses, they're, they're very inexpensive. They're really easy for someone to access to help them hone their pitch and figure out how to navigate things with donors because I've seen that happen too. But my main leaning is to support donors, to give away money effectively. And I'm happy to talk about some of the top level strategies that I do and that I advise in my courses during our conversation today. But I also just like the general conversation as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, let's start with the donor side. And then I want to get into the nonprofit side, maybe sure. later on in the conversation. But I, don't, I know from my standpoint, you know, my wife's family, we have a single family office. We're an affluent family just on our own household level. We live in Nashville, which like a lot of cities, there's a ton of nonprofits, right? There's the black tie scene that you can go on, the dinner circuit. There's the art scene. My kids go to a private school. And so that the social contract there is that if you can give, you need to give beyond just the tuition. It can be overwhelming. If you've had a liquidity event, or maybe you didn't grow up in a multi-generational family, and you're having trouble matching your passion with a cause, what's some advice that you give people who maybe don't want to boil the ocean, they want to narrow down their focus and have the greatest impact they can? That is the most important question. And it's not just for people who are starting out either. My clients, where we have two, three meetings a year where we're analyzing dockets, struggle with this exact same question, especially as you start giving donations and more and more people know that you're a prospect. So let's talk about this because this is something that I really focus on in my courses because it's the number one thing I think that causes people to stop giving over time and also can cause overwhelm. So the thing that I do, and it might sound simplistic, but people don't do this enough. So the thing that I talk about first is, okay, so you have wealth, you want to give away money and you're like overwhelmed with all the different things you just listed. So the first thing I talk about doing is I want you to break up who you are into three different things, excuse me, four different things, four exact things. First, I want you to think about your typical week and I want you to write down what you do. No judgment. Write down what you do in your typical week. Then I want you to write down your hobbies. What are the hobbies? What are the things you like to do? Then the third thing is, what are the activities that make you happy? 
So that might be things you do in your typical week, or it might be a place you go every year that really like rejuvenates you. You write that down. Then the last thing is really important, which is what keeps you up at night? What stresses you out? What worries you? Write that down. And it's going to be a whole bunch of things, just like what you just listed to me before. You're like, my kids go to private school. I do all these other pieces. I have, there's these different dinners. There's all this arts are interesting. You're going to have all of that in there. But when you write it down, what happens is you start seeing a through line. So I did this exercise on myself and I have a little mini course where I do it to myself so that you can see how it works. But I have a lot of hobbies. I have a lot of things. I'm really busy. I wrote all these things down, but then I started seeing a through line for myself. I really value, I have one of my own kids and I have three stepkids and I value them so much and I love my family. And I also am an environmental person and I worry about climate change. And so I started writing all those things down along with a hundred other things. And I started though realizing when I saw it on paper that that's what I cared about. And so where, where I'm personally gave a donation and give donations is around nonprofit groups that are supporting kids, youth, the next generation to talk about climate change. So that's just my personal journey. And if you do that exercise on yourself, you'll see, especially if you're looking at what keeps you up at night, what worries you, and then you look at what your passions are, you're going to be surprised at how many things you can find that are then connected to what you really care about. And you can do this exercise once, twice, three times. If you start feeling like you're losing connection with the nonprofits you're giving to, you can sit back down and say, well, what am I doing? So it's always centered around who you are, and then that'll keep you inspired and what it is. So that's top of the funnel, which I think is helpful, right? Thematic giving or donating. And that's really helpful in terms of that intersection between what you're passionate about and, and what keeps you up at night and et cetera. But how do you get to the next level? How do you find a consideration list of 10 yeah, or yeah, yeah. five groups that are maybe you know domestic or international? Because it can be overwhelming. You can't just Google this. So how do you take it to that next level? Right. right. Yeah. That's the next thing. So you figured out what you want. Woohoo. That doesn't mean it's over, <laughs> but it's still going to be. But now at least you're interested enough to spend the time taking that next step. Because what I find is if you don't take that first step, then you're like, oh, it's all overwhelming. And then you go away. But let's say you picked an issue that you really care about. The next step, it can be sort of, then how do I find the nonprofits? So actually, I'm going to push back in a friendly way a little bit on you about the website research. If you have done the good work up front to figure out the one thing you really care about, when you then when you hit the web research, you actually might be surprised at what you find. So I actually did this exercise on myself too. I said, okay, I care. Now I know a little bit more than most folks about some of these issues, but you can say, okay, I care about youth and climate change. You can start looking at your favorite, most trusted news sources that you already read and start looking at what they're saying about it. And then they'll pull out, some of those places will pull out some nonprofits or charities that you trust because you trust the news source that you've looked at. So there is a way to sort of start there. So I didn't want to stop anybody from trying to do some of that Google research because you'll be surprised if you do the first piece of work up front. But then the next thing that I think you want to do to really be able to figure out what your interest is, is you want to talk to yourself about how you want to approach giving. And in my experience, there's three different kinds of approaches to giving, and this will really help you. So if you first have decided now, okay, here's the issue I want to work on and you do a little bit of Google research and you find out some nonprofits you think you care about, then you want to say to yourself, what kind of funder am I? 
Am I someone who wants to find a few nonprofits that work on climate change, for example, and fund them year after year because I have a busy life and you know I trust these nonprofits? If that's the case, if you just care about funding the nonprofits year after year, which is a good thing, then you're what I call a sustainer funder. That's somebody who doesn't want to be an expert in the issue. You want to support those nonprofits in the issue. You fund them year after year, and you identify that you're a sustainer funder. And you have to be okay then with, okay, there's all these issues in the world. You'll feel overwhelmed, but you're funding those couple of nonprofits or three or four or five nonprofits to take care of it. You go on with your life and meet with them every once in a while, go to their board meetings, do whatever you'd like to do, but be happy that the nonprofits are working on the issue. You're a sustainer funder. However, it gets a little trickier, but it's still really exciting if that's not enough for you. So you might be busy and everything, but you might say, I'm funding climate change issues and we have so much to do. There's policy issues that need to be moved. There's like serious markets that need to change. I don't know if the nonprofits are doing enough on that issue. We need to move the needle. If that's where you're approaching funding from, then you're what I call a campaigner funder. And a campaigner funder, so if you're honest with yourself about the fact that you're a campaigner funder, it means that if you're not an expert in the issue, you are going to want to contract an expert who can help you and advise you in your giving strategy. Or you're going to want to find a couple of nonprofits where staff at the nonprofit are super experts that you trust and you can bounce ideas off of. If you're a campaigner funder, you have a little more money to give away because you're going to be taking more of people's time. But if you want to move the needle, then that's where you're at. And so you don't have, you won't get overwhelmed if you then seek out experts in that field and you fund them and contract them to help give you advice in that area. A launcher funder is similar to campaigner funder. A launcher funder also wants to move the needle, but they're really interested in filling a gap. They love starting new things from scratch. So like they care about climate change, but they see that there's not enough science in a particular area. So they want to fund scientific institutions on that. So the reason that I think it's so important to divide yourself into one of those three categories is I've worked with all three different types of funders. And sometimes if I'm working with someone who thinks they're a sustainer funder where they just want to fund nonprofits year after year, the reality is they're campaigner funders. They're like, there's this big problem and why I don't know, understand why I'm not doing this enough. But I, but it, and I get overwhelmed because issue's not moving, but they're sustainer funders. They're not really investing that time that they have to, to really know what's going on in that space. So that's another area and a trick that I have. And I, I have a little mini course about how can you identify the kind of funder you want to be. And then there's tools that you can use to help move forward in those areas to be able to make sure that you're an effective funder and not leaving money on the table. I am personally an expert in environment and natural resource work. I am hired by campaigner donors who want an expert to then bring ideas forward to them. And I also work for sustainer donors where I'm more of an administrative type person, which just helps give grants year after year. So it's a very different approach and different ways to go about it. And how do you consult donors once they've identified you know, a particular nonprofit that they may not be familiar with? Are there some preliminary questions? Is there a diligence checklist that you recommend for people? Because it often strikes me that these very successful individuals can be great at diligencing and investment. But when it comes to nonprofit, they just kind of write a check and forget about it once they find an organization. But there's a lot of metrics that you can use and, and diligence questions that you can use to make sure that you're getting the kind of best bang for your buck and that those values are aligned with your with your own households, right? Yes, exactly. And 
again, it does depend on whether you're approaching the nonprofit as a sustainer, campaigner, or launcher, because it matters what your outcomes are going to be. If you're a sustainer donor, then the main thing you may be interested in is the found is the nonprofit's budget. And so I do have a nice checklist and a, and a little mini course around how to read a nonprofit budget and to think about it. And I have a whole bunch of different things to look at, but then I also recommend that there's just one or two main things you should look at, such as a reserve fund to make sure that the organization will be around in times of adversity, that kind of thing. So if you're a sustainer funder, it's a bud, it's the budget and then a check-in to make sure that the organization in general just continues to be working on the issues that you care about. So sustainer funder is a lot simpler in terms of the metrics. And the reason I say that so strongly is again, where I see people making mistakes as donors is they think they're a sustainer funder, but then they start meddling in all these other places. And then what ends up happening is there's resentment and also money can be wasted because then what happens is nonprofits start telling you what they think you want to hear. And then they aren't actually working on those programs, that kind of thing. So that's more when it's like a general support grant and you know generally what you want to do. But then if you're a campaigner or a launcher donor, the way you evaluate the outcomes is first, you have to be really clear with yourself about what you want, what needle you want to move. Okay. So you're not in as a sustainer and campaigner funder, you're actually not as interested in the individual nonprofit. You're interested in moving the needle. And so while one year a nonprofit, let's say you're interested in, so since I do environment natural resource work, let's say you're interested in making sure that the transportation sector shifts from a fossil fuel-based economy to a renewable economy. So like using electricity for automobiles. So there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. So as a campaigner or launcher funder, that's going to be your goal. And then when you evaluate the nonprofits, you're going to evaluate how successful they've been against that goal. And it could be a multi-year strategy because these are not things that happen overnight. So you might be less interested in an individual organization's budget than you are in how these organizations are collaborating together. And so one of my mini courses focuses on how to fund and support a collaboration of nonprofits working towards moving the needle, because that's more what your evaluation is about. And where campaigner and launcher donors get a little muddled is when they start getting so focused on a nonprofit's budget. It's like the reverse, because it's not really what the issue is about. It's about whether that nonprofit can work on a project and succeed at that project. And they will then give you a project budget and a project grant for that kind of thing. And then you'll be able to look at those tangibles every year. It'll be much easier for you to be able to figure out ABC, whether they're getting there. The thing that'll be harder for you as a campaigner or a launcher funder will be to see if they're actually able to move the needle on that policy issue you care about, <laughs> because that's really, it can get complicated. That's where sometimes campaigner and launcher funders contract or hire folks who are experts in the field to sort of also say, hey, what is this really working? You know, if we're trying to transition to an electric grid instead of using fossil fuels and using renewable energy instead of fossil fuels, is this working? And a lot of times it means you're not just talking to the nonprofits. You're either hiring an expert who's going to talk to the agencies and other folks that really know what's going on, academics. You're going to be thinking about all these different things in addition to the nonprofit itself. Thank you for letting me talk about that. It's, I'm so passionate about it. <laughs> no, it's interesting to hear you speak because it really seems like it's much more work on the front end in terms of who you are as a donor and what your goals and expectations are, as opposed to finding 
the specific right organization, because once you understand yourself, it's going to help be a guideline for you and it will lead you to where you should be going. But I don't think a lot of people think of it that way and they don't do that self-reflection work on the front end. Yeah. And I'm really glad you said that because that is the one of the cores of the reason I am doing this is I've just, I've been doing this now for many, many years and I have a lot of clients and I love my clients and I see when they struggle is when they haven't really spent that time upfront and they're getting hit on all sides by nonprofits and important causes. And they just feel like they're falling into a hole because they're just like, oh, the issues are so big and I don't know what to do. But me, I'm someone that's like every single day working with these amazing nonprofits and talking to agency people and academics and thinking about how to move the needle on things. And and I can see every day how much they're moving the needle. They're doing amazing work, but when they start losing touch with what they're actually caring about and what they do day to day and what their friends are doing and other things, then they start feeling like it's just disassociated from their life. And it's more about just checking a box and getting the tax deduction. And then that's when you start losing everything there. So, and does that help people like me who are getting pitched constantly have a better pathway to saying no? Yes. Yes. It helps you say no. And I actually did a little podcast episode on this because I was out and I did it after one of my trustee meetings, one of my meetings with my clients, because we were going through this whole struggle where I was trying to help them say no to a bunch of stuff. And they were realizing, oh, we have to say no to this and this, but yes, they have to say no. And it was actually so much easier for them to say no, because they then, they had done the work of figuring out that there was one place that they wanted to fund because their family had a long, deep history in this one location. And they said, we actually want to fund in one location. It's a big decision because they used to fund a lot of other stuff. And then we started identifying, okay, here are the nonprofits you're not going to fund anymore. We're going to do transition grants out of those ones. But they were able to do that, even though they really did love those other nonprofits, because they knew what they wanted to do. And in the long run, it's going to really help all the nonprofits, because the ones that you said no to, you're clear, you know, you're not leading them on anymore at all. And the ones that you're saying yes to, you can have a deeper, longer commitment to, because you really want to move there. So yeah, it's really helpful in being able to say no, if you do that work up front. So shifting gears to the nonprofit side, what are you seeing in that space today in terms of groups that are thinking proactively doing it right versus ones that are maybe struggling to reorient towards this new kind of millennial style of giving or, or the way people are thinking about giving away their money? Yeah. So there's a lot in your question. Let's unpack a few things there. The first piece of it is there's a big transition going on right now and nonprofits have to navigate this. And so the transition is first, that the general institutions that are sort of foundations you can look up on the web, the big ones like the Packards and the Fords and all those folks, they still exist. But the new wealth is not creating quite as many foundations like in that style. And so that's the first thing that nonprofits I'm finding need to navigate. And I'm an example of this transition because I used to work full-time as an executive director of one foundation. Now I have eight to nine clients at any one time where I'm helping them navigate their work. And it's a very comfortable place for people to be where it's, it's not like they have a fancy office where you come and visit, everything like that. The benefit of having like a location and an organization like that for a nonprofit is that they can look, and look them up, look at their guidelines on the web. 
and apply. And the challenge is that they have trouble accessing that. And so a lot of nonprofits ask me, how do we access funders? And so I have a little mini course on how to stay relevant and it's called Be Real. And one part of that that I talk about is in order to be able to get access to donors, the main thing to do, and it's not rocket science, is to notice what's in the news, what's trending. And if it's something you're working on, don't assume that donors know that, but do assume that donors, people who have wealth are reading the paper. So they are reading it and they are calling me. I'm the person that works with these folks. I know it. They're like, what? Look what just happened. And I can tell you, I can every year on just on my hand, just maybe five times, does a nonprofit proactively email me a really good email that I can forward to my trustees about what they're doing on it. And I am an expert. So I actually know what the nonprofits are doing so I can help them and say, hey, this person's doing that. And that's why they hire me. But there's a lot of donors who don't have someone like me. And so the nonprofits are really not doing a good enough job there. They will send like general emails that are blast emails, but I get everybody gets so many of those that they don't feel relevant. And so it's really picking and choosing that. So that's, I have a little mini course on how to be relevant there and how to really send something out that will be really helpful. So that's the first piece of advice, but I'll stop there though. I was going to do a couple, but you looks like you might want to ask me a question. So I'll stop. No, uh, well, <laughs> Let's do- you know, I'm, I'm curious. I had a lot of conversations about this recently. What are your personal thoughts about some of these large multi-generational nonprofit institutions that oftentimes have very large overheads, don't necessarily have a great track record in terms of the dollars they're able to put out and often are kind of acting as intermediaries, right? I'm thinking like the United Way or some of these other larger groups that it seems like today with technology and social media and the ability to identify the right direct end user nonprofit, they don't always have a place today. What are your thoughts around that? I think that there's a complicated answer to that. So let me try to explain it in the way that I'm thinking about it. So I have really strong belief that certain kinds of inter, I call them intermediary organizations are really helpful. Because if you're someone that's a campaigner funder and you don't, but you don't have quite enough money to have like a program officer or contract someone, if let's say your interest is in supporting, let's say the coal industry is not what it used to be in the Southern and South Southern US. And your biggest worry is what happens to all these wonderful people that were working in the coal industry and now have to get new jobs. Okay. So you're really worried about that. And that's more of a campaigner funder kind of thing because you're like, this is happening. There's a lot of smaller groups and I, I can't navigate it myself. I don't know where to go. There, I actually know there's a great organization that serves as an intermediary just on that issue. And the two people running it are super experts on that issue. And if you give them a grant, then they will regrant to smaller grassroots organizations that are in the particular area working on that exact question. So if you support an intermediary, if you're, again, it goes back to being really focused on what you care about, right? So if you really know, if you've done the good work and you know exactly what you care about, there could be a really good intermediary. The other great example I think of an intermediary that works really great for you is if you are somebody who cares a lot about supporting indigenous communities, but if you just went out and started funding nonprofits there, you wouldn't necessarily know the right right way to do it. And you could end up inadvertently hurting things more than helping things. There are wonderful intermediaries 
that really know the local indigenous communities in an area and you can grant to them and then they can regrant to local groups and they'll give you those things. So again, an intermediary is helpful if it's very focused. It's not as helpful if you just generally know you want to do something and you think you should be doing good and then you give to some bigger intermediary and you don't give them any guidance in terms of what your interests are, then that could go to overhead. Now, if you love the group in general, if you're like more of a sustainer funder and you love United Way and what they stand for, that's wonderful. But if what you really love is the thing that you're trying to do, like maybe houselessness or food insecurity, then there's usually a really great intermediary. If the other thing is, I want to say this too, if you want to fund local smaller grassroots kind of organizations, rather than the larger organizations, then intermediaries can be super helpful with that if you're super focused and careful about it, because those folks are the ones that usually know those smaller groups and smaller groups can come and go a little bit, but they can really be helpful there. And it will help you disseminate your funds to smaller local groups in a way, if you don't already have a staff person that's helping you figure that out, because it can get sort of easier for you to start leaning into those larger groups that have more developed development teams and that kind of stuff if you don't have that. So it was a little bit of a complicated answer, but I do think that it's complicated to think about those intermediaries and how they can help. My wife had the same answer. (laughs) I just get frustrated sometimes because I see these friction costs where some people, you know, but they do have a place within the ecosystem, which I understand. But I do think that some of them are really struggling to keep up with this change and then giving mentality amongst people. And the biggest pushback I have against some of these groups is, just how bloated the boards are and how bureaucratic they've become. And I just really question whether some of the original donors would be happy with what they've become over the last 25, 50 years. And that draws me to my next question of, what do you think about the giving pledge, what Mackenzie Scott is doing, and some of these newer groups that want to, to spend their accounts to zero, give away their accounts to zero within their own lifetime. What, what do you think about these movements in the industry? Yeah, I like the question. And you're asking a lot of the good ones. How much time do we have? <laughs> because this is not We've, we've been going answer. about 45 minutes, but you know, yeah. we're good. Go ahead. Okay, cool. All right. So I like the ideology, the ideal of spending down your wealth because wealth inequality is a really big deal. So I like the ideal. I worry about the application. And let me tell you about some of my worries. And I feel like it's not very good for me to say these worries because it feels like the trend now is, oh yeah, spend down, deal with the wealth inequality by doing that. We just spend it all out. But let me tell you about some of my concerns. My concern is not that they're spending down. I think it's that's good. But my concern is that they're putting out so much money in the world that's not filtered through a democratic process that what can happen is you're essentially, if you do it wrong, you are moving the problem from you to the nonprofit. The nonprofit all of a sudden has multi-millions more dollars to spend than they did before. And then the theory is that then they just can magically spend it with an egalitarian, amazing mindset. 
The problem is if you're putting this pledge is really, really wealthy folks, right? So it's multi-millions of dollars. We're not talking grassroots groups here. So the kind of organizations that can actually even absorb that kind of money are larger organizations. Larger organizations are amazing. They've got good diverse boards. You know, in the ideal world, this can all work really well. But I'm somebody who has spent many, many, many years in the gray area between giving and relationships with nonprofits and how nonprofits work together and how they navigate power struggles and different things. And the problem with simply saying, I'm going to spend everything down and I'm going to give it all to organization XYZ and then not ask any more questions is it's a little bit more extreme the other way. Then those nonprofits have that responsibility of how do they then work with some of their other people, nonprofits that they may be competing with. If you really care, again, it depends on your goals, but if you're somebody who's maybe wealthy, who wants to spend, spend down and all those pieces, you'd assume that some, some of those folks would want to support equity, diversity, and inclusion, and assume that you want to support smaller grassroots organizations. But it doesn't always work that way if you don't have, if you don't fund carefully. So that's the first challenge with it. And I see that happening And I lived it when I was a nonprofit person where some of the larger organizations would get a huge amount of grants and then the smaller ones wouldn't have the same amount, but they'd be the ones doing the work. So again, not a really huge chip on my shoulder about that, but I did experience it directly. And it actually could end up, if you're not doing it carefully, causing the very problems you're trying to avoid. The next thing that's really important to consider is if you're somebody who wants to do the spend down pledge but you're a campaigner or launcher funder and not a sustainer funder, and you actually want to system move and move the needle on some major issue, health issue, any issue, you name it, but you want to move the needle on that issue. These issues last a long, long, long time. And people who may not agree with the place you want to go, they may not be spending down in five years. They will likely be around 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 more years. So if you care, if you're a campaigner or launcher funder, and you care about moving the needle, spending down all of your money, just having that be the straight up goal may not be the right thing to do if you really want to move the needle. What you might want to do is still definitely like make it so that you don't have, that you're not incredibly wealthy and that that you're reducing it, but maybe do it where you do have very clear, a very clear guidelines in your foundation that in perpetuity, you're going to be working on XYZ issue, something like that. So, you know, I don't feel like I am a person who has the standard answer to that because I've been to so many funder conferences and so many things where it feels just like pat on the head. Yeah, this is all great. But I have a lot of nervousness around this for those two reasons I just mentioned. Yeah, it's interesting. My my wife's part of a nonprofit here in Nashville. They received some of the Mackenzie Scott money, oh, Okay, great. which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> One of the weird knockout effects that happened was when they announced it, their base of donors, some of them thought, oh, well, you're good now. Great point. So yes. We no longer have to support you because you obviously got a huge check and you're set. So we're going to divert and allocate elsewhere. And so they had to have this marketing campaign around, well, it's great that we got it. It doesn't mean that we don't need to have your continued support. Oh my gosh. Support. I- yeah, yeah, and so yeah. So it was that, a mm-hmm. it was a weird mm-hmm. dynamic that I hadn't thought of through once. Yeah, can we talk about that more? Yeah, yeah because sure. and actually, it wasn't that wasn't part of my two points with the spend down, but that's actually there's funders also who are, for example, campaign funders who say we're going to fund for five years and then be gone on an issue. So it's similar to the spending down piece, and 
And what happens, and I've worked for funders who are in it for the long haul on a particular issue. And so the first thing that can happen is a campaign or something can be so well-funded or a spend down. And then it does, it has that effect. Exactly. The other thing that can happen is the large amount of infusion of funding that comes in what will happen is that nonprofit five years later, whenever that money is gone, will then go back to their original donors and say, hey, we no longer have money to work on this thing. And it really creates some resentment with other funders because they're like, what is it with this big other funder? They didn't even talk to us about the initiative they're focused on. Now they've forced, not forced, but they've gotten all these nonprofits to work on it. And then they put a ton of money and then they leave. And then they expect us local funders to keep funding it. We don't have the money to be able to do that. And it does, it's just very frustrating on that side. And it's actually interesting because I didn't think of it as much as a spend down thing as, as much as a, like a thing to worry about if you're doing campaign funding or other stuff. But I love that point because it is really true. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I've talked to my wife about this. I do think that Mackenzie Scott's approach to not having specific conditional ties to the money, which a lot of donors do, does empower a lot of nonprofits that they know how to run an organization. They know how best to allocate that money. And so I think I do applaud that component of it because I do think the spending clauses can be really pernicious to a lot of these organizations and put them into weird, yeah. perverse situations. But it's just interesting to me that I, I never thought through that consequence of what the fallout would be yeah, yeah. From, no, that's, from receiving it. So That is really true. And But then there's another angle to think about with the no strings attached funding as well, though, is if a board is completely no strings attached for a really long period of time, what does that mean in terms of over the long haul, how they are thinking about raising money from diversifying their funding and raising it from other places? And also if you're a donor that cares about, if you're a campaign donor and you care about an outcome, if you're giving a lot of money to one of the groups that's a leader in that particular issue and outcome. But there's a lot of organizations that are also working on that and you have no strings attached and you're not guiding it at all. What does that mean for the other organizations? Are they then going to go and knock on the door of that one that got most of the money and ask, how does that dynamic happen? So when you have all that extra funds, but you have no strings attached, you're leaving it to the nonprofit, which is great. But at the same time, there's no sideboards so that the nonprofit can then like lean in on that a little bit. And then that can help them maybe navigate some of the tricky conversations as well. So it's always that balance, you know? Well, we've been going for a while now. I'm not sure how to close this down or how to tie a bow on it, but it is a very relevant conversation within the high net worth and, and family space. You know, a lot of people are think rethinking through their their giving, their philanthropy. And so I think the work you're doing is really valuable. Is there anything that you want to make sure that we touch on or that we end on things well, that you're I, seeing in the space today? Thank you for that. I think the top level piece is, I really think this is a relevant conversation today. I think that we are rethinking how we're giving and rethinking how we're giving effectively. And I think we're experimenting. We're in this, the funding world and donors are in this wonderful experimental space and what I hope that we're that we all will do as people who are wanting to support nonprofits is acknowledge that we're in an experimental space and that the pure spend down, that's an example of an experiment. It's not the answer. And the real question and reckoning for us as funders and donors is 
as a collective, what is it that we want to see in our society in the next 10 to 20 years? We're going to see some significant changes in the next 10 to 20 years in the, in the realm that we haven't seen before. And so how can we support good people doing good work? And what does that mean? That's where I think I'd love to leave it is as donors, think into yourself about what you care about the most, but then also we're in this time of change and let's go out there and seize the opportunity and not apologize for our wealth, but come forward and be acting partners with our nonprofit allies. Yeah. Sybil, I want to thank you for coming on. How can people connect with you, engage with what you're doing, access some of the great resources that you've put together? Well, great. I'm so glad you asked. So anyone can email me at Sybil at doyourgood.com. So it's do your good as you just type that in. And my website is do your good also. I also have a Facebook and Instagram handle, the at do your good. And you can reach me in any of those ways. And my courses are evergreen. They're just really easy. They're little mini courses. And I also have lots of free resources and I have a month, I have a weekly podcast as well, where I talk to donors and people who are intermediaries and all that kind of thing, investigating some of these questions. Awesome. Sybil, I look forward to staying in touch. Keep up the good work and thank you for coming on. Thanks. It's been an honor to talk to you. I really appreciate it. I want to meet your wife too, because she's yeah. super interesting. <laughs> yeah. She's very involved in this space. So Cool. Oh my gosh. Cool. I'd love to yeah, compare notes. <laughs> Will do. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.